The Bible has much to say about gates, doors, and keys. Gates is the Hebrew word 8179 in the Old Testament Strong's Hebrew. And it means gate or door. The Hebrew word is sha'ar. Sha'ar, gates. It means a gate or a door. Doors, Hebrew 6607 in the Strong's Concordance. Hebrew is pethach. Pethach, it means door. And keys, Hebrew 4468 in the Strong's Concordance. And it's the word maftich. It's an opening instrument, an opening instrument. Gates can be individuals, places such as cities, a point of entry, a point of importance, a point of impact, and or a point or a place of contention. There could be contention at the gates. If you let that contention in, it will enter your domicile. If you keep the contention out, you'll have peace in your domicile, in your church, in your business. Spiritual battles often rage at the gate. Gates of old were a place of assembly, Proverbs 121. They were also a place where the law of God was read and it was also a place of proclamation of the law or the word of God. Nehemiah chapter 8 verses 1 through 3 and 2 Chronicles 32 verse 6. Gates were a place where the priests and the prophets delivered their discourses and prophecies at the gate of the city. People would gather at the gate to hear the proclamation. Isaiah 29, 21. Criminals were punished outside the gates. Gates are often positions and places of great importance. Gates were carefully guarded and closed at night. They would close the gates of the city at night. Deuteronomy 3, 4 and Joshua chapter 2, verses 5 through 7. It's important that we understand gates, gatekeepers, and watchmen and their differences and purposes. The Bible says that for lack of knowledge, the people are destroyed. Hosea 4, 6. There is a battle today that is being raged, especially at the gates. The gates or gateway cities in our nation, in the United States, one is Ellis Island, New York. Niagara, Fort Erie, Ottawa, and Washington, D.C. as capitals and gateways to the nations and political arenas. Gateways to entertainment include Hollywood, Nashville, and Niagara Falls. The aboriginal people, whether it's the First Nations of the Inuit, can certainly serve as gatekeepers to a nation or an area. Wall Street and Bay Street are places of influence and gateways into financial and economic communities. When the Twin Towers crashed, it affected our economy for the nation. It happened at the gateway city of economics, Wall Street, New York City. Doors. Noah built an ark that had a single door. Those who entered were saved from the flood, Genesis 6.16 and Genesis 7.7. So the ark had a door. And God himself closed the door once they were in. But they had to enter through the door to be saved. Jesus said, I am the door. So the Old Testament counterpart, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed or explained. Moses directed the Israelites to place the blood of the lamb over the door of their house. 
and not to go outside the door. They obeyed and were protected from the angel of death. The Egyptians ignored the instruction and as a result lost their firstborn children overnight because they refused to put the blood on the doorposts and the lintels. The blood of the lamb on the door caused the death angel to pass over. No blood on the door caused the death angel to enter in because the door was not protected by the blood. Exodus twelve twenty two through 23. God directed the priests to place a door or a hole in the offering plate to give people the opportunity to partner with God, partner with God and to fund the work of ministry in 2 Kings 12, 9. They obeyed and God's work prospered and the people were greatly blessed. Partnering with God causes the blessing to flow. Partnering with the enemy causes the blessing to be withdrawn. God placed a watch over the door of the psalmist's lips. Psalms 141, verses 3. Sometimes it's good to keep your door shut. If you know what I mean. Could be a trap door. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And as long as the tongue is behind the door, you might be thinking it. But keep the door shut. Many a person has lost their head because they didn't keep the door shut. God has set a door before us that no man can shut. Revelation 3.8. A door is an opening or a closing structure used to block off an entrance, typically consisting of an interior side that faces the inside of a space and an exterior side that faces the outside of that space. When open, doors admit people, ventilation, light, dark, cold, heat, can admit animals. Doors are significant in preventing the spread of fire. They act as a barrier to noise. Many doors are equipped with a locking mechanism to allow entrance to certain people and to keep others out. Doors can be opened and closed a number of different ways, including turning a knob, using a key, pushing a lever, or in the current generation, entering an electronic code. They can also be accessed by a fingerprint, thumb, voice technology, eye recognition. Different doors require different keys to unlock, lock, open, and shut. Today we're starting the series, Gates, Doors, and Keys. Let's talk about keys now. We've talked about gates. We've talked about doors. And now we're going to talk about keys. Because sometimes you have the key, but you can't find the door. Sometimes you know where the door is at, but you don't know the key. Keys grant access to a gate or a door. Keys in scripture signify authority 
and power. This is evident from passages in the word where keys are mentioned as in the following verses. Revelation 1.18, Jesus said, I am the first and the last, he that liveth and was dead, but behold, I am alive unto ages of ages, and I have the keys of hell and of death. Jesus took the keys of death, hell, and the grave from the devil in scripture and then took captivity captive in his train. Isn't it nice to know that we're with the one who has the keys? Yes. Revelation 3, 7. These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and he that shutteth and no man openeth. Jesus has the keys and when he shuts the door on something, that's it. And when he opens the door on something, things begin to happen. There are things or seasons in your life where it feels like the doors have been shut and it may be because they have been. And God's developing character in you in the midst so that when he turns on the faucet or he opens the door or he releases the floodgate, you can handle that which he gives you because you have character, wisdom, and you know how to steward that which he entrusts you with. Isaiah twenty two twenty two. the key of the house of David will I lay upon his shoulder. He that may open and none shut and that he may shut and none open. Talking about Jesus coming on the scene. David had keys to the city in Jerusalem. He was the king. There was a king coming after him that was greater named Jesus. And Jesus got the keys to the kingdom, brought them down, and guess what? He gave them to a guy named Peter. Interesting, which was a type or a shadow of how God wanted to give authority to the church, which is not a denomination, it's not a building, it's not a structure, it's people. That's you and me as believers. We are the church that come to a building that may be called the church. But the church is not the building. It's the people inside. Where two or three gathered there in my name, there I am in the midst. The the ecclesia, the called out ones. Matthew 16, 18 through 20. And I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock. What? What rock? The name of Peter or the rock of revelation that Jesus is the Christ. When Jesus is the Christ and you understand it and I understand it, keys of authority are released into our lives. And on this rock of revelation that you've gotten, Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father, which is in heaven, that I am the Christ, the son of the living God. Upon this rock of revelation, you're Petros. You're a little rock. You're a piece of the rock. But I'm Petra, the rock. On the rock of revelation that I am the rock. The one that can't be moved. I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone yet that he was the Christ. The original 
Greek language of this passage, Matthew 16, 18 through 20, really connotes this. Whatever you bind on earth that has already been bound by the decided will of God in heaven will shut the door for it coming through. Whatever you loose on earth based upon the already decided will of God to be loosed will then be loosed on earth as it is in heaven. Notice it's all about agreement with heaven, not about binding and loosing on earth. It's not a soulish realm. I think I want to do this, so I'm going to proclaim this and that. But rather, what is the Father in heaven saying? Jesus said, I never do anything of my own in John 5, 19. I only do the things that the Father does. The things that the Father does, the Son does likewise. That's why Jesus healed everybody that he touched. He never had a failed healing. And when we're in agreement with heaven, we'll find much more success in what we do. When we say, Lord, where are you working? What are you doing? How can I join as a hammer in the carpenter's hand? For you to build something great, show me how to come into agreement. Can two walk together except they be agreed? We're ones that are sent, not ones who just went. And we've tried it both ways, haven't we? When God sends us, he goes before us and he provides. When we went on our own, God watches. And we run out of steam, energy, money. We come back and we complain and blame him. And we blame everybody else until we get into prayer and find out it's not my brother nor my sister, but it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Then we repent. We change our minds. We get back into alignment and we'll do things like this. Lord, I'm never doing that again. I'm never going to the, I'm not going to the mission field. I'm not doing that. And about the time that we say we'll never do it again, God speaks to us to go do it. And we're like, yes, sir. And then he goes before us and we have great success and we're really excited about it. And then we run off again without him. Thinking that he's going to show up just because he showed up last time. And we went again instead of being sent. Alignment. Doors, gates, keys. So when you have a banker box, there are two keys to open the banker box. The bank has a key and you have a key. When you show up, they will take you in the back room privately. The banker will go get their key. They'll put it in. You'll get your key. You'll put it in. So there's always a witness present when the key to the banker box is inserted with the other key and it unlocks the box and you can access what's in the box. It takes two keys. Pray that it might be done in earth as it is in heaven. Prayer is the key. Faith unlocks the door. So God will allow you to unlock the banker box when you're in agreement with him. And we can only get out of the banker box what is in the banker box. And we don't have access to somebody else's banker box that God provided for them. Do you know why? Because they've been given a different box than us and they have a different key. It's a personal relationship with the Lord. And here's what happens when we go to the banker box and we unlock it and we find that the item in there that we believe we need is not there, whether it's healing or deliverance or wisdom, we can pray, we can fast, we can seek the Lord and he will be moved by our seeking him and he will put something in the box. And when we see it in the box, we can then release it into the earth with the key of prayer 
and proclamation. And it will be done in earth as it is in heaven. So if you aren't getting what you believe is in the word regarding a matter, push, pray until something happens. Pray until things shift and pray until you see it in the realm of the spirit and then go do it again and you'll see it manifest on the earth. Does that make sense? Does it take some of the mystery out? We must be like children to enter the kingdom of God. We need to get back to a childlike faith. Today we're going to take a look at doors in scripture. I'm sorry, we're going to take a look at gates first. Because we're on gates, doors, and keys. Do you see how they work together? The five gates of man are the five senses of man. The eye gate, things we look at. The ear gate, things we hear or listen to. The touch gate, things we touch or feel or things that touch or feel us. The nose gate, things we smell, things we inhale, things we smoke, things we snort. And the mouth gate, things we eat, drink, ingest, or speak. The door swings two ways. Little keys unlock big doors, and big doors swing on small hinges. The Bible says that to be a friend of the world is to be an enemy of God in James 4, 4. When we open our gates to the world through wrong conversation, wrong television, magazine, or book viewing, wrong or excessive diet abuse of alcohol or drugs, whether pharmaceutical or street drugs, or misuse of caffeine as a reliance when the joy of the Lord is our strength. Amen, Amen or ouch. Or use our bodies for wrongful touch outside the guidelines in Scripture or the like. We find that we've opened our gates to the enemy of our soul. Let's examine some biblical examples revealing how Satan's Trojan horse strategies can lead to defeat and or destruction. But before we get there, let's talk about a guy by the name of Samson. We're talking about gates. Samson was called, anointed, appointed. He was undefeatable. A thousand men could not bind Samson. He killed a thousand men, trained soldiers with the jawbone of a donkey. Not a thousand men could bind Samson, but one woman could. Say gates. Samson made a series of mistakes in his leadership example as judge over Israel. Although Samson had been separated with the Nazarite vow from birth, see Judges 13.5, he failed to keep that vow unto the Lord. In doing so, he opened his gates to the enemy of his soul. For example, a Nazarite vow meant Samson could never, one, cut his hair, two, eat or drink anything from the grapevine or eat a grape, touch anything dead, and four, required him to remain separated holy all the days of his life. See Numbers chapter 6, verses 2 through 8. And by the way, Jesus was not a Nazarite. He was a Nazarene. There's a distinction. So Jesus could drink wine. He did at the Passover. He turned water to wine as his first miracle. So 
People take a Nazarite vow sometimes for a month. Sometimes for a year. In Samson's case, it was ordained by God through an angel that he had that vow upon his head as a Nazarite for life. So different people called by God have different requirements unto the Lord for whatever reasons. So please don't allow me to impose upon you what the Lord has required of me as your standard. And please don't impose upon me your requirement from the Lord as my standard. Samson was a Nazarite. Jesus was a Nazarene. Distinction. Is that good? Otherwise, we'll open the door to rules and regulations and religious requirements and cause us to focus on those instead of being led by the Spirit. Now, there are clear things that are in Scripture that everyone is required to do. And everyone is forbidden from doing. But then there are other areas that it might be for a season. Other areas might be nothing to one person. And it may come by generational matters that are in your DNA that the Lord says, stay away from this. Personally, I was told by prophecy at age eight, never to smoke a cigarette. Never even to put a stick up to my mouth as if I was playing. Never to put uh, a cigar, even if it was like a, an artificial cigar, a gum cigar. And so, although I obeyed those things, there were many other things that I disobeyed. But I believe that it would have been a door opener for me somehow, generationally in my DNA, it would have created a nicotine addiction in me that would have led to other things. It would have been a gateway drug for me. Other people could smoke cigarettes. It's no big deal for them. That's not their thing. I know other people that the minute they touch alcohol, one drink is too much and a hundred's not enough. I know other people that can have a glass wine and it's not an issue and they never get drunk and they do it in moderation. So let us not impose our personal rules and regulations or requirements that the Lord has spoken to us for our own safety based upon our calling, anointing, gifts, mantles, strongholds, DNA. We make whole denominations out of this. And then we alienate others. And then everyone gravitates toward the denomination that they're most comfortable. Gates, doors, and keys. Samson had a Nazarite vow. He needed to stay away from wine. He needed to not touch anything dead. He needed to remain separated holy all the days of his life. And he should never have cut his hair, let alone get involved with a woman that I refer to as Delilah the hairdresser. We're talking about gates, doors, and keys. Today we're on gates. The Bible records that Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. Judges 14.1. He returned to tell his Hebrew parents about her. Verse 2. And Samson, in all submission to his family and mother and father, demanded that they get her as his wife. Verse 3. You know, you can have an anointing on your life and get demanding and take the very people that God put over you, whether they're pastors or leaders or mothers or fathers. And because you've got an anointing that may be stronger than theirs, you may think that you know more than they do. 
And what happens is it'll get you messed up. Doesn't mean they don't love you. But submit to the voice of the Holy Spirit within their voice. Sometimes they're older than you because they've lived longer and they're still alive for a reason. (laughs) Hello. He returned to tell his Hebrew parents about the Philistine who the Old Testament, the Torah, the Levitical laws forbid him to be involved with. Christians should not marry non-believers. And often I find people say, well, I'm dating a non-believer. I said, why are you dating a non-believer? They're like, well, I'm going to lead them to Christ. Specifically, women will do this. Not, not, but men will do it too. Yeah, I'm going to change him. And, and I, I said, so this is, is missional dating. Missionary dating. And, and, and they're like, well, yeah, I guess so. The Lord told me to do this. I said, what Lord? The Lord of the Bible? And so what often happens is it results in much sorrow. Either they get converted away from the faith, they get converted to that person's faith, or they become non-believers and it's not normally a good ending. Samson didn't have a good ending with Delilah. And he didn't have a good ending with the first two. It was a pattern. Say pattern. Break the pattern, Lord. So he went to tell his parents about it. Samson returned to Timnath and went the way of the vineyards. What was Samson told to stay away from? Wine, grapes, and where is he hanging out? In the vineyard. Be not drunk with wine wherein there is excess, but be ye filled with the Holy Ghost. On the way he was met by a lion in the road. You think God will speak to you through circumstances? Judges 14, 5, the spirit of the Lord came upon Samson and he tore the lion apart like a man would have torn a young goat apart in verse six. See, you can be dead wrong on the road in the wrong direction to go do the wrong thing and God will allow the enemy who's trying to kill you on the way to get in your way as a message to get you back to the safe zone and the anointing will even come upon you in that situation And when the anointing comes upon you in that situation, you'll overcome the situation supernaturally. And instead of running back to God saying, thank you for protecting me from that lion. Thank you for protecting my life. You'll be like, I'm nine foot tall and bulletproof. I got the anointing. I'm a bad man. Bad mamma jamma. So the spirit of the Lord came upon Samson and he tore the lion apart like a man would have torn a young goat apart. Judges 14, 6. This should have been sufficient warning for Samson to stay away from the Philistine woman and remind him of his Nazarite vow from the Lord that came through the angel to his parents. Sometimes when we are going the wrong direction spiritually, God will put something in our path to get us back on track. Samson, however, didn't heed God's warning. He continued down this path to his own demise the bible goes on to reveal that samson went from being in the spirit to the works of the flesh in the same afternoon verse six or seven he went from tearing apart a lion with his bare hands under the anointing of the lord to entertaining and conversing with a pagan woman to obtain fleshly desire samson's eye gate his ear gate and heart were well pleased by her as they talked together verse 7 samson should have come out from among them with a nazarite vow as judge over israel with an anointing to tear apart a lion as if it was a goat 
Samson should have come out from among them, separated unto God, and not touch what God had forbidden. 2 Corinthians 6.17 says, Be not unequally yoked together. It says, Do not tie yourself together with a harlot. Moreover, Samson should have kept his Nazarite vow unto God, as indicated in Judges 13.5 and Numbers 6, verses 2 through 8. Instead, Samson began to open his gates to the adversary. He eventually opened all five gates to the adversary of his soul. Should we review? Samson opened his eye gate when he began to look upon the Philistine woman, Judges 14.1. Samson opened his touch gate when he touched the carcass of the dead lion in violation of his Nazarite vows, verse 8. Samson opened his mouth gate when he ate honey from the carcass of the dead lion, in verse 8. Samson opened his ear gate when he began to talk with the Philistine woman and became well pleased with her words. Verse 7, Samson opened his nose gate when he made a feast with them with all the food. Food has a drawing aroma, as does the perfume of a woman. Can you say Chanel number 5? We know Samson also journeyed deeper into sin and continued to yield his gates to the enemy. He eventually slept with a prostitute from Gaza, Judges 16.1, and slept with Delilah, the hairdresser who cut off his seven locks of hair, costing Samson his strength, his vision, his freedom, his position as judge over Israel, and eventually his own life. Judges 16, verses 4 through 31. All because Samson failed to properly protect his eye gate from the Philistine woman at Timnath. Once Samson compromised one gate, he willingly opened the other four unto his own Destruction. 1,000 men could not defeat Samson, but one woman did. Samson invited the Trojan horse of lust into his protected city. David made a strategic mistake with Bathsheba by failing to close his eye gate to the beautiful woman bathing on her rooftop. By allowing this, he went from seeing Bathsheba, which is not a sin, to looking at her, which became a sin. Let me tell you how slick men are today. Men will look that are Christians and they'll look away, but they've snapped a picture in their mind. And so they looked, but they're slick. They look away. Glory to God, praise the Lord. But they're imaging. Ask the Lord to deliver you from the image in your mind. Because it's not a sin to see, but it's a sin to look, to gaze, to gawk, to meditate upon. Because your mind will go down a wrong path. And you'll end up with your head in the lap of Delilah the hairdresser. Symbolic of the world. David's seeing led to looking. Which then led to wanting. No man is tempted by God, but every man is tempted when he's led away of his own lust and desire. And once it's conceived, it bringeth forth sin and sin bringeth forth death. James chapter one, verses 12, reading on. And it works with women, too. 
There's a big pornography pornography problem with men, but now it's starting to become very common with women. The other thing is this. I've actually had somebody use my computer before, and I come back to my computer and I've got pop-ups. And by the grace of God, that's not a stronghold for me. We all have different things, but that's not one that I struggle with by the grace of God. And now all of a sudden, my computer has been compromised. How did that happen? I didn't do that, but he or she opened the gate and you've got cookies in your browser now. And now you're getting marketed. There is a major move. You know, there was a joke. A guy says to me, I said to him, I said, well, you know, I heard that 30% of the internet is now pornography. He looked at me deadpan. He says, are you telling me that there's 70% of the internet I've not yet seen? <laughs> you know, some, it's just a joke. I mean, people, because it's acceptable practice. There is a campaign right now in New York City, in Times Square. They spent two million dollars on a billboard. I'm not going to share with you the details, but it's by a porn company. And they're trying to make pornography and the activities that go along with it, either alone or with other partners, acceptable practice to dumb down the senses. And there's a lot of money in that industry. One look and you're hooked. It's okay to see, just don't look. And if you snap a photo accidentally... Ask the Lord to remove the image. Literally, you can do this as a prophetic expression. If you see something, you're caught up, just say, oh, Lord, remove it. Remove it. Remove it. And when you do that, God will honor that. It's a form of repentance and say, Lord, deliver me. So David's seeing through his eye gate turned to looking, which became sin. It led to lust. And David said, go fetch her for me. Well, isn't that Uriah the Hittite's wife? I don't care. I want her. Isn't he one of your mighty fighting men? I don't care. I want her. David's fall from grace resulted in a child out of wedlock, a murder, and the enemies of God having great occasion to blaspheme. Second Samuel eleven two, all because there was a gate that was compromised. Do you see the importance of gates, doors, and keys? There's good news. We can possess the gates of our enemy. We can release the law of kindness. We can release the supernatural. We can penetrate a city with the gospel of the kingdom. We can cast out devils, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, preach the gospel unto the poor. We can meet the needs of people in other countries or in our own nation. So there's a positive side about possessing the gates of our enemy, which is not people, but the spiritual enemies that have them bound and set them free. David had taken the thought, had David taken the thought captive under the obedience of Christ, 2 Corinthians 2.10, by casting down the imagination in his mind, 2 Corinthians 10.5, he would have closed his gate to the enemy and the temptation and lifelong turmoil that followed. You know, You can make a mistake, 
and God will forgive you. But people may not. You can make a mistake and God will forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You can have a child outside of your marriage. God will forgive you. But he'll cause the child to be raised right with you. And there are children that are wonderfully blessed out of that type of situation. You know, so there's nothing wrong with the child. But the point is, wouldn't it be better to do it God's way? If David had, by casting down the imagination, he would have closed his gate to the enemy and the temptation and lifelong turmoil that followed. David would not have fallen and Uriah the Hittite, Hittite, Bathsheba's husband, would have most likely have lived a long life. Moreover, David would not have been punished by God fourfold for his sin, which eventually cost David his own wives, family, freedom, and children. Second Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through 14. The enemy of our souls loves to provide consumer credit to us for sin. He says, I tell you what I'll I'll do. I'll let you go ahead and get this sin on credit. You can pay for it later. And because judgment doesn't fall immediately, we think that the consumer credit company is not coming after us for what we charged at 22.9% interest. The wages of sin is, but the gift of God is eternal life. Lot is another example and warning to us. Lot is another example in the Old Testament, Genesis 19, 1 through 29. God miraculously delivered Lot out of Sodom and Gomorrah along with his wife and two daughters. Lot's wife, however, disobeyed God and opened her eye gate to the adversary. Her desire to look back on the city of sin, Sodom and Gomorrah, with a longing in her heart caused her to turn and become a pillar of salt. It wasn't that she just went back and saw it. In the original Hebrew language, she looked back and continued to look back with a longing in her heart. She had a soul tie with Sodom and Gomorrah. And so God says, if you want to be there, I'm getting ready to burn that place. I'll just allow you to become a pillar of salt outside the city and we'll make you not a role model, but a horrible warning. Are you a role model for good or have you been a horrible warning of what not to do for others? Is this too hard? Is this okay? Okay. Okay. Lot and his two daughters then began living in a cave together. Lot opened his mouth gate to offer to the offer of wine from his two daughters. He got drunk. His daughters took advantage of him in his drunken stupor and had sex with their own father. Genesis 19, verses 30 through 38. See, you can learn some things by role model when you're in a wrong city. And you get out of the city, but sometimes the city came with you. You can take the girl out of the country, but you can't take the country out of the girl, is an old saying. Sometimes you can take the person out of sin city, but the sin may have got in them and they're still wanting to sin. We need deliverance. I know I've been changed. Angels in heaven don't sign my name. We see an example of how opening one gate, the mouth gate, can lead to opening another gate, the touch gate. This resulted in two children born of incest 
and two wicked cities springing up as a result from that incestuous union, the Moabites and the Ammonites, both of whom later became Israel's enemies. Protect your gates. The Bible is full of examples of men who fell prey to the adversary's devices by opening their gates. Noah drank wine and became drunken only to awaken naked and to know what his son had done to him. Genesis 9, 21 through 24, cursing him for his actions. Verse 25, Herod opened his eye gate to the daughter of Herodias, to, to Herodias. As she danced for him, Matthew 14, 6 through 10, Herod made an oath with his mouth to give her whatever she asked. Matthew 14, 7. She asked for the head of John the Baptist on a silver platter. She asked that his head would be cut off. She asked, will you use your authority to murder a man of God? John the Baptist. Oh, although Herod was sorry for what he had offered her, he was bound by the words that came to the door of his Mouth. Proverbs 6 2, a man is snared by the words of his mouth. John the Baptist was beheaded that same night, verse 10, and Herod sealed his own spiritual fate for eternity. It all began with Herod failing to protect the gates of his human soul. The eye gate, the ear gate, the nose gate, the mouth gate, and the touch gate. And the serpent said to the woman into her ear gate, You will not surely die. So when the woman saw through her eye gate that the tree was good for food to be taken into her mouth gate, that it was pleasant to the eyes, the eye gate and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit through her touch gate and ate it through her mouth gate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate it through his mouth gate. Genesis 3 verses 4 through Six, you see how this is throughout scripture? Here we see at least four of the five gates of man attacked and compromised by the adversary of our souls in the Garden of Eden. It wouldn't be a great theological leap to suppose that the aroma of the fruit also affected the olfactory senses of the nose as the woman approached the tree, took the fruit, and ate. All of the temptations we experience will primarily enter through these five gates or senses of man. If we can learn to properly protect our gates from these things, the devil, the world, and our fleshly desires, we will have complete victory in all that we do. How many want complete victory? Blessed is the man that endureth temptation for when he is tried, Greek word for tried is tempted or tested or scrutinized or disciplined. He shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. James 1, 12. In the book of Matthew, Jesus gives us keys to lock out the adversary temptation and the devil to keep those things from entering our spiritual gates. Matthew 4, 1, then Jesus was led up of the spirit into the wilderness. Why? To be tempted of the devil. Lord, lead us not into temptation. Well, here it says that he was. Guess what? He was led up to be scrutinized, disciplined, tried, tested. When God allows you to be tested, he, the power to, hear, hear me, the power to overcome temptation always comes before the temptation shows up. The power to overcome temptation always comes in you before the temptation shows up. If you don't yield to the Holy Spirit's power 
but you push that down and you yield to the temptation, it's a slippery slope. There's not many people that once they start to slide, recover going down that slippery slide. And that's how temptation is. Now, at the bottom of the slide, you can recover yourself, but it takes quite a while to climb back up. And you end up scraping and bumping yourself in the process. So the power to overcome temptation comes in you by the Holy Spirit. And here's why the scripture says, there's no temptation that's taken you except that which is common to every man. And with the temptation, God always provides a way of escape that you might bear up underneath it. So God always gives us the ability, the anointing, the authority to overcome the temptation. We can never blame God for falling prey. We can only run to God if we have fallen prey because he is so faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins, God is so good. And if you've made mistakes, that's why we have a savior. He was hung up for your hangups and he's here to deliver. Shall we continue on? Jesus spiritually restored man to his original pre-fallen garden of Eden state by overcoming the three levels of temptation to which Adam fell prey. Jesus closed the gates of his soul and responded to each of the tempter's offers was simply this, when the devil took him up on a high mountain, when the devil made bread into stone, he said, no, for it is written in the word of God. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Thou, and when the tempter came to him, he said through Jesus's ear gate, if thou be the son of God, command that these stones be made bread to eat through your mouth gate. I'm using some literary license here. But he answered and said, it is written. So Jesus used the door of his mouth with the word of God in his mouth. And he quoted the book of Deuteronomy three times. When you are tempted by the adversary, quote the word of God back and you'll be strengthened and that thing will flee from you. It doesn't matter if you've got to quote it 300 times. It will eventually leave. The Bible says that one of the names for the devil is Diabolos. It's one who comes to pound like with a hammer on a door till he breaks in. The enemy will come and pound on the door of your mind until you yield, or you will speak through the door of your mouth. Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou hast not in mind the things of God, but of men. Submit therefore to God and resist the devil and he will flee from you. Resisting the devil is not the key. Submitting therefore to God is the key. And then we have the authority to resist the enemy. If thou be the son of God, command that these stones be made bread to eat through your mouth gate. But Jesus answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. The first temptation dealt with the lust of the flesh, John, 1 John 2, 16. This is synonymous with Adam's desire to eat the fruit in the garden of Eden from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that was an off-limits item to partake of, but available every time he walked by it. There are things that are available for you, but they're consecrated unto God. And so even though they're available, we are not to partake of them. There are certain things that are available for you that are 
not to be partaken of until a certain time. Such as the marital covenant provides benefits, but not before marriage, but after. After you say I do, you can. But you can't do until you say you do. Hello. Okay. (laughs) In both instances, the temptation came through the avenue of the serpent or the devil's voice through the ear gate. Sometimes we have to rebuke Satan and his tempting words that enter our thought life through our hearing, whether it's spiritual hearing or physical hearing, often through the voice of a well-meaning family member, friend, or someone who seems to be concerned about you. The devil normally shows up through a voice we know and a face we recognize and trust. Job's wife said these words, curse God and die, Job. Well, thank you, my loving wife. I know you're going through a rough time right now. So am I. We've just lost our cattle, our houses, our homes. We've lost all of our children, for goodness sakes. And I've just been struck with boils all over my body from crown to head. And the only thing that lived was you for you to be used as a voice of the adversary into my life at this point in time. Thank you, my love. Till death do us part. And by the way, she was in a forlorn state. We're not judging her. The bottom line is, God never took her out of the picture. God restored to Job double, and they had 10 more children, three more beautiful daughters, and seven more wonderful sons. And the latter end of Jesus's all right, the latter end of Job's life was better than the former. He got double for his trouble because he stayed single-minded in the midst. But remember this. It doesn't matter who it is. If it's the voice of the adversary in their mouth, rejected out of hand. And it doesn't matter who it is. If it's the voice of the Lord, recognize that and obey the voice of the Lord. Sometimes you'll get rebuked by non-believers and the Lord sent them in your path. And sometimes believers will give you some advice that is so contrary to scripture, you need to say, get thee behind me, Satan. Thou has not in mind the things of God. I've read it. Read the book, the B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth. And what you're giving me are some instructions that are contrary. And you need to repent. The net, the, the, you know when the enemy really loves to come in through the five gates? He loves to come in whether you're, when you're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. And that's halt, halt when you're hungry, angry, lonely or tired. Don't even have the conversation. Don't even pick up the phone to try to engage with that person. If it's a tense situation, text message them back and say, I am hungry, angry, lonely and tired. Halt. I will talk with you in the morning. (laughs) Maybe or maybe not. Pray for me so I don't lose my Holy Ghost. Or if I don't say something through my mouth gate that I regret. Because I certainly don't want to hear what you have to say through my ear gate right now. It might make make me want to go drink something through my mouth gate. Yeah. Or take some tranquilizers. Okay, we're not even going to go there. I won't even tell you the percentage of pastors wives that are addicted to pharmaceutical drugs because of the pressure of the ministry i won't tell you the percentage of pastors that are addicted to pornography that went to a pornographic site at least twice this week and meant to go there before they got in the pulpit on sunday morning 
Protect your gates. Is it important to study gates, doors, and keys? Because in future sessions, we're going to learn the authority we have when we close our gates to the adversary. We can now release the power of God and possess the gates of our enemy. We can plunder hell, populate heaven. We can take the land and we can have victory on every hand. And we can then bring the lamb of God, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the just recompense of his labor on the cross 2,000 years ago. We're going to continue on. We're going to close this out and we'll do the other sections in the future weeks. Then the devil taketh Jesus into the holy city setteth him on the pinnacle of the temple and saith unto him in his ear gate, if thou be the son of God, cast thyself down for it is written. Now the devil's quoting the word. Some of the most amazing theologians are filled with the thoughts and the doctrines and the mind of the devil. You got to remember this. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were well read in the scriptures and they called Jesus Beelzebub, prince of the devils, lord of the devils, prince, lord of the flesh. So, so here's the thing. Just because you got Scripture in your mouth doesn't mean there's any anointing in it and doesn't mean that you're in alignment with God when you're saying it. Hey, look, let's face it. A broke watch is right twice a day, but you don't tell time by it. Just because somebody's got a couple of verses of Scripture in their mouth doesn't mean they're right. And even if they're right occasionally doesn't mean that they're right and you go to them for spiritual counsel. Look at their lifestyle and the fruit. If they, do they look like they've been baptized in lemon juice or so angry all the time? Where's the joy of the Lord that they're straight? Okay. If thou be the son of God, cast thyself down for it is written. He shall give his angels charge concerning you and in their hands, they shall bear you up. Lest at any time you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said unto him, wow, that's really good doctrine. I think I'll do that. No, he said, it is also written. Thou shall not tempt the Lord thy God. Matthew four verses five through seven. This temptation dealt with the pride of life. The first one was the lust of the flesh. Turning bread into what, stone into bread. The second one dealt with the pride of life. Jesus, why don't you do something sensational? Take you up to the pinnacle of the temple. There's, you know, a valley down there. You can jump off. It's 700 feet. It's going to be an amazing thing. You know, God will command his angels regarding you. If you're really the son of God, why don't you do that? It'll catch everybody's attention with the sensational thing. You can float on down and then go ahead and preach the gospel. Sometimes the enemy will try to get you to operate in the supernatural outside of the timing of God to show off. So this temptation dealt with the pride of life. First John two sixteen. all that is in the world is of the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye and the pride of life. This is synonymous with Adam's desire to be like God by partaking of the forbidden fruit. If you take of the forbidden fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you'll be just like God. Knowing good and evil, guess what? Adam was already made in the image and likeness of God. He got tricked out of his position of authority and character and nature. (laughs) Again, we see the ear gate is being used by the adversary to enter the thought life of both the first Adam in the Garden of Eden and the last Adam, Jesus. The Bible declares, for we are not to be ignorant of the enemies devices second corinthians 2 11 because god has revealed things to us by his spirit i hath not seen nor ear heard nor heart conceived the things which god has prepared for those that love him but he has revealed them to us by his spirit we can know the deep things of god when we're in alignment spirit soul and body 
And we won't know them when we're out of alignment, when our soul is first or our flesh is first. Your spirit man is king, your soul is servant, and your body is slave. Your body is not king. Your soul is not king. Your spirit is king. And when you walk with your spirit as king, you're a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Boy, that's good. I've never preached that before. That was good. I'm going to go back, go back and listen to the tape. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. We can, however, be destroyed from lack of knowledge, Hosea 4, 6, if we fail to study to show ourselves approved unto God, rightly dividing the word of truth, 2 Timothy 2, 15. This is why we go and we sit under teachings that are anointed because preaching proclaims the truth, gets us to repentance, to change our mind. Teaching empowers us to live in that place. Jesus taught three times more than he preached. Preaching says the foolishness of preaching will cause people to come to Christ, but it's not the foolishness of teaching. Line upon line, precept upon precept. If your teaching desire is limited, pray that God will give you a desire to be taught. So with that in mind, let's look at the third and final area of temptation the enemy uses to gain access to our souls. Again, the devil taketh Jesus up into an exceedingly high mountain and showeth him in the eye gate all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And he saith unto him through his ear gate, all these things will I give to you if you will fall down and worship me. This is amazing. The creation is telling the creator to worship him. Look, I'll make a trade with you. I know I'm not omnipresent. I know I'm not immutable. I know I'm not omnipotent. I know I'm not omniscient. I know that I don't have the five attributes of deity. But I tell you what, let's make a trade. I know you uphold all things by the word of your power, and there's nothing made that's been made that's not been made by you. But come on, let's make a trade. You don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to go to the cross. Tell you what. You worship me, I get to be God, you get to be my servant, and I'll give you all these souls. I mean, the epitome of arrogance. The devil is so brazen, and if you think that he won't try you during a fast, he'll try you while you're fasting more than he tries you when you're not fasting. Wow. All these things will I give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said unto him, get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only shall thou serve. Verses 8 through 11. This temptation dealt with the lust of the eyes. All that is in the world, the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh and the pride of life is of the devil. This is synonymous with Adam's desire to look on the forbidden fruit that was pleasant to the eyes in Genesis 3, 6. In this instant, We see the devil attempt to gain access through two gates, the ear gate and the eye gate. Adam unlocked his gates by heeding to the adversary's words through his wife. He purchased the temptation with his action by taking and eating. In criminal law, they look for overt acts to determine that you've broken the law. And so an overt act might be accepting the money as the bribe. The overt act might be breaking and entering. The overt act may be taking that which is not yours. 
So the enemy knows the laws, the rules. There are spiritual principles. And he knows if he can get you to violate the law or the rule, you've committed the overt act and judgment will fall. Not because God wants to bring judgment, but because it's the law. And the adversary looks to prosecute as judge, jury, and executioner. So he knows he can't defeat you because when you're born again, your gates are sealed. He's pushed out and you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Mm -mm -mm -mm. Jesus, on the other hand, protected his gates by taking the enemy's words captive, casting them down and replacing them with the word of God, saying, no, for it is written. No, for it is written. No, for it is written. And he quoted the word. If we're going to effectively protect our gates, we must rely upon the word of God and the Holy Spirit, our spiritual weapons and keys to repel the adversary, keep our gates clear and clean from enemy attack. This is kind of fun, isn't it? And in the following weeks, we're going to talk about some more. But I just want to share this with you. And it's not in my notes here. Somehow in the 16 pages that I put together, I forgot this section. But the Trojan horse, do you remember the story? The Trojan horse was offered only after the adversary could not penetrate the Greeks' impenetrable city. So when they realized they couldn't get in, they acted like they left. They floated off in their boats, but they left a small team of people and they built this Trojan horse and they left the Trojan horse, which was a giant wooden horse at the door or the gate of the city. And the Greeks saw that the beautiful horse was outside and they said, well, look, they've offered us a gift because they couldn't get in, they've acknowledged that we are impenetrable. And they saw the boats leave. What they didn't know was inside the Trojan horse were Trojans. And as they opened the gates, they pulled the horse inside and closed the gates. And then they had a celebration. And there was a drunken festival that the war was over. And while... They were drunken and sleeping it off. The trap door in the Trojan horse popped open and the soldiers hidden inside then went and cut the throats of the gatekeepers. And then they opened the gates of the city and their fellow soldiers came back in and overran the city and they took over the city of Greece. When you've been born again, you have an impenetrable city. Your vessel of honor fit for the master's use cannot be penetrated by the adversary. But often he will offer you some sort of a Trojan horse that looks like a gift. It might come in the form of a man or a woman. And you say to yourself, but I've been promised a wife. I've been promised a husband. He who findeth a wife findeth a good thing and obtaineth favor from the Lord. Yeah, but she's Jezebel. She's Delilah. She's Apollyon. Do you know her fruit? Do you know her character? Has she have a consistent walk with the Lord? Can she cover your back? And can you cover your? It might be the offer of a job. And the job actually leads you 
to a place where you're now bound working seven days a week, working Sundays. You're now no longer in fellowship. But the offer was a Trojan horse because it looked so good because now you have provision for your family, but now your prayer life is waned. Now all of a sudden you've lost your relationship with the Lord. Now I'm not saying don't take a job. I'm saying if the Lord tells you to go that direction, seek him because often the counterfeit comes first. Those that wait upon the Lord. Well, this is my only chance. The Holy Spirit leads, he guides, he directs, he prompts. Occasionally he'll prod. But the devil always pushes, he always forces, he always tells you you have to do it now. Now, for those of you who haven't been working, I would say that might be a wrong temptation that you've yielded to. Do you see the difference? You know, it doesn't matter whether you're on one side of the ditch or the other side of the ditch. If you're not on the road, you're in the ditch. Okay? So if you're a workaholic, get out of the ditch and get back on the road. Take a day of rest. If you're not working... If a man won't work, neither should he eat. Get back on the road. Is that balance? Somebody told me one day, David, you know, I believe in a balanced faith. Little faith, little unbelief. I'm like, no, that's not how it works. <laughs> Anything that's not of faith is of sin. Amen. And I want to talk to you about the fifth gate, which is the touch gate. The touch gate, the enemy will try to affect you through the touch gate by promising true affection or love. We know the enemy can really offer neither. And so the touch gate will come in through physical touch that will arouse a desire that will bring you down a path that's not in the timing of the Lord or the way of the Lord. So remember, halt. Hungry? Jesus was hungry, but he didn't make stones bread. Be angry and sin not. Right? Lonely. When you're lonely, you can make bad decisions. So that's why the Bible says go out in twos. Have a prayer partner that you can trust, an accountability partner. And when you're tired, I'm going to share something with you. You know, I'm about to be married. And when I've worked in the marketplace and then I minister the word and then I minister at the altar... And I am on my way home and I will call my fiance on the phone who lives 1,300 miles away. We'll share, we'll pray before the service and I'll get to a point where I am tired. And it's all fun until you're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. And then you start to diminish in your spirituality in the Lord. And so we're human vessels of clay. It is wise to recognize when it's time to halt. Hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. Is this good practical wisdom? And so there's sexual touch, but there's also violent touch where trauma enters in. Physical abuse. And then you can react. And then think that it's time for you to become God's avenging angel on the earth. And you end up in jail when you have to give it unto the Lord. And close your gates to that contentious spirit and remove them from your electronic phone book. Delete them from Facebook. Cancel their text messaging abilities. Put up a block. Protect your gates. Let us stand. We're talking about gates, doors, and keys. Tonight we've talked about gates. The five gates of man. The eye gate, things we see. The ear gate, things we hear. The nose gate, things we smell. 
The touch gate, things we feel. And the mouth gate, things we eat, drink, smoke, or say. Each door has hinges that can swing one way or another. It's time to possess the gates of our enemy and not allow the gates of the enemy to come possess us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's raise our hands unto the Lord. If you've been convicted by the Holy Spirit tonight in an area, or if you've been liberated by the Holy Spirit in an area, let us ask the Lord to seal us free from the things that have penetrated our gates, deliver us, and also close the gates to the adversary that we might be fully equipped with the keys of the kingdom that we're about to experience in the next two sessions. And we're going to walk in the liberty wherewith Christ has set us free and no longer be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. But you've been given the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever door you shut will be shut. And whatever door you open will be open. Lord, tonight we close our gates to the adversary. And we open our gates to heaven. That heaven might shine through us. That we might be a trichotomous, a three-part being in alignment with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That we might be spirit as king, soul as servant, and body as slave in alignment. That we might be those that walk circumspectly, that walk in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. That we might walk being led by the Spirit into all victory. The temptation has no power at all against us, but instead we walk in liberty with our eyes on the seawalker and not the winds and the waves that come to buffet us. Thank you, Jesus, for shining brighter than every other thing and removing scales from our eyes. I bind the spirit of wrong focus that would cause us to be focused on the wrong things. And I release the spirit of right focus by the Holy Ghost that we might look into the heavens, setting our affections on the things that are above. We make a covenant with our eyes. And as we close our eyes, Lord, let us see heaven. Let us see the things of the third heaven carry us in visions of God. That we might come from that experience being in your presence, transformed into the same image and likeness of Jesus by the Spirit of the Lord. And we might release the law of kindness in the earth and we might possess the gates of your enemies, Lord, with the love of Jesus. Cleanse us completely, we pray. He who being often reproved and yet hardeneth his neck will be destroyed suddenly and that without remedy. Lord, we choose not to be those that harden our necks against the word of the Lord tonight. We choose to be free. Father, we believe. Help thou our unbelief is what I'm hearing in people's spirits. Yes, you can be free. Yes, you can be free. It's not by power nor by might. But by my Holy Spirit, saith the Lord of hosts, that the shackles are removed. I bind and break the shackles of shame, the fetters of unforgiveness, the lockdown of lust. I liberate you from right now. Penitentiary of pride. Be supernaturally delivered. The Bastille of bitterness. I break you out with the word and the spirit 
of the living God. No more be bound with the lockdown of lust. Be free for whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Those in agreement said, Amen and Amen. Give your brother or sister a side hug. Tell them you love them in Christ. Eagle Heart Fellowship and virtualchurchmedia.com Feel free to make a donation online and support the gospel online to the nations. Bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm David Harabedian, and I approve this message.